Gene Siskel of the Chicago Tribune says that this is a movie that demands to be seen twice. The first time, one is likely to be dazzled to the point of exhaustion. The second time, one can appreciate the artistry and good humor more easily. Janet Maslin of the New York Times says that although this isn't the first time that cartoon characters have shared the screen with live actors, it's the first time they've done it on their own terms. And Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times calls it sheer, enchanted entertainment from the first frame to last, a joyous, giddy, goofy celebration of the kind of fun you can have with a movie camera. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we debate the future of who framed Roger Rabbit. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhoods Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters. How's it going, everyone? How's it going, John? I'm doing okay. Do we want to maybe consider calling the listeners to this podcast Ruined Children? Greetings, Ruined Children. No, we're sticking with Starfighters. We're going to stick with Starfighters because Ruined Children just has a whole... Alter boy, I don't like. I don't know. Maybe I've seen Spotlight one too many times, which I've only seen it once. Look, but... y- you know what, Dan? <laughs> Call me Brendan Fraser, but you're a coward. Well, just uh, consider me David Green. <laughs> well, playing <I> football, <laughs> being Jewish, and you're a coward. Okay, well, uh, I'll still get into Harvard. <laughs> i'll honor your tradition uh yeah. so <laughs> so oh, I dan say, yeah and you'll still be a prick <laughs> yeah and you'll still be a prick so yeah but we talked about that episodes ago yeah but the more i think about it uh, it's crazy how school ties even though that that's several episodes ago now and several movie viewings it's kind of just the way that it did. Oh, oh, so many years ago when you and I were uh, on the hunt for it in L.A. for mm-hmm. a copy of School Ties. I it's kind of like it's one of those movies that once it gets into your head, it kind of for me, it resonates. Maybe it's just because like the time that I saw it and the place. But I just think it's a really it's a quality flick, man. Oh, also because lately, oh, I'm sorry, I should, I had some context, so, um, for those of you joining us for the first time, my name's Dan, and I am, aside from being John's brother and a movie lover, I also am a high school teacher. So, uh, I teach language arts, and when we teach about, you know, when we're, when we're going to read a book... It's important to also get the historical context. So we're about to read Tobias Wolff's memoir, This Boy's Life, which picks up in 1955. So I've just done a week of background on the 1950s. And specifically, misogynistic, anti-Semitic, racist, how the 50s are kind of like on the... It's seen as this... 
you know, it's it's it is the you know, make America great again. That was the last time it was great, mm-hmm. according to those who don the don the cap, don the uh, don cap, don yeah. Uh, all right, yeah. Um, so, you know, the 1950s are shown to be this very, you know, happy, you know, the fabulous 50s and everyone's really excited. It's like, oh, look at this blender. Look at it blend. But then, you know, deep down inside, women were depressed because they weren't allowed to get jobs. Right. (laughs) And, uh... You know, children were beaten because that was what you did, right? <laughs> and uh, so, so, and I think school ties being set in 1955 and being recently watched, it just has kind of has stuck with me. So, hence the school ties rabbit hole we have just gone down and are going to come out of. And here we are out of that rabbit hole. The <laughs> rabbit hole may be dug by Roger Rabbit. Eh? Uh-huh. Huh? I feel Please. like my, se- my, that was my terrible. segue work on this show is the thing that I'm focusing on more than actually like thinking about uh, how I would give these movies sequels, prequels, or reboots, or remakes. It's the segues I care about the most. Well, it's someone needs to f- focus on it, and you know I'm going to go off on a tangent and start rambling, so but someone's got it. But first, there was some news uh, that came out the day that we're recording this. Moranis is back, baby. Rick Moranis is involved with the new Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Dan, are you just hearing about this for the first time now? Yes. Yes, I am. Okay. I, yeah, I started seeing his name come up on Twitter a bunch, and I was like, what is happening? That's exciting. Yeah, that is very exciting. And I'm just, I'm just checking out the, the most recent post that I can find here on, on Sci-Fi Wire. I mean, it sounds like he's kind of all in. And Josh Gad is playing his son. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, so that could be, we could see him. I'd be interested to see if this is kind of a Moranaissance, if you will. I kind of like Eddie Murphy. I think Eddie Murphy is kind of he's 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 jumping back in. He's getting back into it, as he said on SNL. He he has a lot of kids and needs the money, but I think he also wants to have a cap on his career and show that he's got something left in the tank. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that's true of... I don't know that it is as true of Rick Moranis, but I'm very right. excited no. now and definitely am much more excited to see this movie. Yeah. We also have a kind of a... And one more thing about our last episode, our Indiana Jones episode from French Fry Phil. I have one as well, in. but please, I cede the floor to Phil. French Fry Phil emailed and said i guess somehow i slept on terrence howard's personal life for years i had to pause the indie episode to google him and oh boy not a good guy that's all unpause back to indiana jones (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah not a good guy google yeah yeah but he's really good in hustle and flow uh 
It's hard out there for a pimp. Knowing about Terrence Howard is probably more important than being a fan of Hustle and Flow. I think that that's one that you can set aside. I agree. I agree. So, and and my so my one more thing for Indiana Jones is and if you haven't listened to the episode yet, or at least if you haven't listened to the end of the episode yet, well, I guess you need to listen to the rest of the episode to get the end of the episode. But that was a blast from the past. So <laughs> I I have to, John, I have to tell uh-huh. you that the that is definitely the definitely the audiobook. The, but... the follow along. Turn the page at the sound yeah. of the crack of the whip. <laughs> oh yeah, the crack oh, of the whip. Yeah, that's right. Um, I could swear that when I used to listen to that as a child, that it was actually the sounds from the movie. Oh, which... definitely not. Oh, definitely, definitely, definitely not. not. No, and. I just I thought to myself I was like wait a second I had not seen the movie when I first like got that little like storybook like drug fair or, or whatever mm-hmm. and I this was the first time that I was like wait oh that is not at all the actual nope. like sound from the movie that is not th- that is not the actors that is not the sound effects that is nothing I I also kind of felt like I should have put a disclaimer at some point uh, indicating that I am aware that the reading of this book by what I can only assume is a white man. uh, He's great, by the way. Right. But doing the voice of like Lao Che's uh, a little problematic. Oh, yeah. Well, crazy about that. Hey, the movie itself is problematic. Well, yes, by today's standards, a lot. Yeah, I was, you know, so for everybody listening, I mean, I I do the audio editing, and I um, like to end each episode with some sort of maybe song or clip from something that ties into the movie that we're talking about, and on uh, the last episode, Dan had been talking about how he had a storybook read-along version of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And I was just curious to see if it was out there. And there is an actual YouTube video that is the audio that I pulled plus the pages of the book. So you can actually follow along as if you were a young Dan, (laughs) not knowing what the actual movie was going to be like. Blissfully unaware, we should say. On behalf of everyone, John, I thank you for bringing that experience to us all. Oh, you're very welcome. So, but but we're going to be talking about Who Framed Roger Rabbit today. Yeah. Dan, I, this was a really interesting one for me because it's one of those that was, it's just so symbolic of that time in the history of animation it really is the kind of tentpole moment where animation kind of transcends into, you know, because animation mixed with live action has now been done 
millions of times. Probably a bit of an exaggeration, but a lot. And this mm-hmm. was really the I mean, the first time that it's happened in a way that was significant. There have been times where it's happened before, but Mary Poppins, right? Like not to this extent. This was, I think, the first time that the the actors interact, like physically interacted with the animated more than characters. just a bluebird on a shoulder. A bluebird on a shoulder or, you know, a dancing penguin next to Dick Van Dyke. Yeah. Yeah, So, yeah, this was huge, like big time interaction that where you would have animated characters holding actual real props. Mm -hmm. It was a, a really cool blend. And of course, being directed by Robert Zemeckis, who is always known for really pushing things, especially with um visual effects agreed yes just totally the perfect person for this and th- i mean this is still early on well this is uh, i think it's is this his post- first movie post uh back to the future back to the future probably but you know after this of course there's forrest gump and the polar express and castaway space of benjamin button right he so didn't do benjamin just- button oh i thought he did fincher. benjamin button fincher did benjamin button david that's fincher. right I, I know think it's that, not... that was Robert Zemeckis. It seems like no. Robert Zemeckis. It seems like Robert Zemeckis. It does not seem. It's, it seems Zemeckian much more Zemeckian. Film. It is much more Zemeckian than Fincherian. Right. Oh, for sure. Man, I really thought that that one was Zemeckis. Oh, well, no, In here fact, we are. I'm trying to remember. I don't know. I feel like recently it came up and I felt like I was like, oh, I want to mention that at some point. But I have no idea how. I have no recollection. Okay. So this movie really... I don't know, was a pivotal movie in my childhood. I mean, you know, it came out when I was five. I have a memory. I know that we usually talk about this stuff after we go into the the main part of the episode. But I have a memory of like being off from school. And it was like one of those like weird holidays that you have off from school, but there's no good reason. Maybe like, well... Um. (laughs) Well, it, it it came out June twenty fourth, so probably no, because this is this is a home video story. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I remember going to our father's office for some reason. He was responsible for me and Scott that day, our brother Scott, and I remember us watching the VHS tape of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, getting to the end, rewinding the tape watching it again like over and over and over and just eating pizza that was uh (laughs) yeah that's how that went down oh okay so interesting yeah i i couldn't remember if we had all seen it in the theater together i know that i saw it in the theater and then owned it on vhs i i'm sure i saw it in the theater yeah five-year-old that's total that's totally the kind of thing that we would have done Oh, absolutely. I yeah. mean, you were seeing last the summer before you were seeing Spaceballs. This is but, true. Um, so, yeah. So Who Framed Roger Rabbit comes out June 24th and opens at number one. Now, when you look at the box office at this time, it's summer 1988 for me is not one of those summers that I'm like, oh, man, I just remember like all these great movies like summer 87. 
I can just run off like everything from like the big hits like like RoboCop mm-hmm. and the aforementioned Spaceballs to like cult hits like Monster Squad, Masters of the Un- I'm doing it right now, in fact. So when it comes to like, you know, 1989, there's a 91, you come to 1988 and it's like, yeah, but then you look at, I think it, of how some of these have aged. So you've got Who Framed Roger Rabbit at number one. Big in its second week of release at number two. Uh-huh. The Great Outdoors uh, at number three. Red Heat, which... Uh, then there was Red remember. Heat. I remember. There was Red Heat, Crocodile Dundee 2. Bull Durham at number six. Huh, okay. Which has stood the test of time. Number seven, Beetlejuice. Okay, right. Mm-hmm. Which, if if nothing has actually like like gotten better with time, uh, Big Business at number eight, a movie that I think has has aged pretty darn well. I I don't know if I've ever seen it. I, I Lily might Tomlin, have Bette Midler, years and years ago. I haven't seen it recently. I know I know that much. You know what? It's a good time. It's fun. I remember watching it, I, I mean, yeah, it was something that Alicia, my wife, uh, really liked, so I, you know, bought a, oh, a copy, okay. like, ordered a copy off Amazon, because it wasn't streaming anywhere. Anyway, so the, you've got that, Willow. Okay. Number nine, which I haven't seen that one in a long time, but, um, you know, it's on the list. Right. Uh, then, you, then you've got... Uh, you know, Funny Farm, The Presidio, Rambo 3, Poltergeist 3, uh, and then The Moderns and A Handful of Dust. But it's some pretty... There There are some, some flicks that have definitely stood the test of time and have kind of earned the, the, the contemporary classic status. In fact, yeah, I would say... Yeah, but not a huge year for movies. No, not a huge. It, it it's an interesting year, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel I'm trying to remember like my favorite movie of that year because that was Rain Man. I mean, probably Beetlejuice. My yeah, favorite Beetlejuice. Movie of that year. Caddyshack. Ooh, I think two we've said it three times by now. Yikes! Ooh, yes. Um, a big Top Pee Wee came out that summer. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so Who Framed Roger Rabbit is a huge. It's a huge hit. Because it's not only, I think the effects are a big deal, but you've also got the appeal of the crossover, the the Disney right. and Looney Tunes crossover. We're going to see Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny on the same together. screen at the same time. Yeah. Together with Bob Hoskins. Oh, kids love Bob Hoskins. Bob, because kids love cockney gangster thrillers right. set in london <laughs> which was pretty much what bob like bob hoskins was like he did mona lisa was yeah like, you know i mean between this and then a few years later there's hook uh bob bob hoskins i mean i believe i read somewhere that like he had young kids at the time so i'm sure yes. that that re- definitely influenced his decisions oh yeah he said his kids were were mad at him when they saw Roger Rabbit because they were like, you worked with Bugs Bunny and you didn't introduce us. (laughs) (laughs) Which is pretty adorable. Especially if you think about them with like Cockney accents. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, well, 
I, I, I love don't, it. I w- I'm not going anywhere with that. No. Okay, good. So uh, Roger Rabbit, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll just go into a synopsis for anybody who's unfamiliar. So Roger Rabbit is uh, one of the biggest Hollywood stars in a world where tunes coexist in reality with live action people. And fearing that Roger is too distracted by his foxy wife, Jessica Rabbit, and thusly not performing at the top of his game, R.K. Maroon of Maroon Cartoons, a Hollywood production studio, hires Eddie Valiant, a washed-up private eye, to get dirt on Jessica. After visiting the club where Jessica sings to some of Hollywood's biggest names, he photographs her in her dressing room playing patty cake with Marvin Acme, owner of the Acme Corporation and Toontown, which is where all of the tunes live. It's just this wacky, gonzo place that's full of cartoons. After he sees the photos, Roger loses his cool and falls into a bit of a funk. He kind of literally explodes, which cartoons tend to do. But uh, as we learn, cartoons uh, cannot die except for by one means, which we'll get into shortly. The next day, Marvin Acme is found dead, and the evidence all points to Roger Rabbit. Not knowing where else to go, Roger seeks out Eddie to help him clear his name while he hides out. And this is problematic for Eddie, since a tune killed his brother-slash-partner, Teddy, years before. Meanwhile, Judge Doom and his team of hyenas are after Roger and won't quit until he is found and sentenced to death by way of a chemical concoction created by Doom that he calls The Dip, the only way to kill a tune. Told you it was coming. And then it all comes to an end when it is revealed that Judge Doom killed Acme so he could get control of Toontown and build a highway that runs through the land that it currently occupies. Uh, And when it is revealed that Judge Doom isn't only a Toon himself, but the Toon who killed Teddy Valiant, Eddie hits him with a boxing glove mallet that empties the dip onto Judge Doom and he fizzles away, dissolves. Uh, and as it turns out, Acme, uh, Acme's will was written on a disappearing slash reappearing ink that Roger Rabbit used to write a love letter to Jessica on, and Toontown is officially saved. And uh, Jessica explains that the whole patty cake incident was in order to help Roger's career and all is well in Hollywood and Toontown. Clearly, I'm glossing over a ton uh, Eddie has a love interest named Dolores who runs the bar that he hangs out at all the time. It's a wild, wild movie, ton of fun, worthy of watching a thousand times. Charles Fleischer does the voice of Roger Rabbit. Uh, Christopher Lloyd is Judge Doom, um, although there's been a lot coming up lately because of the striking resemblance between Judge Doom and Roger Stone. So... There's definitely a lot going on there. Yeah, Dan, anything to add? Who's more evil, Roger Stone or Judge Doom? Judge Doom has the tattoo of Nixon on his back, right? No, that's Roger Stone. That's, that's Roger, Roger Stone. Stone. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, I, I'm I'm actually, I'm thinking about it, and I, I watched the, I watched the Netflix documentary about Roger Stone, and I'm thinking hmm. about it, and I'm like, when I... You know, when when you put the stats next to each other, like Roger Stone is really much worse than Judge Doom. Judge Doom, even though he was trying to build what is the 110 freeway in uh, California, uh, his plan was to profit. Like he had a whole thing to profit from this 
plan because he was buying out all of the the mass transit lines, like the trolley lines. So he was going to be profiting from building this roads, but he was investing in infrastructure. And he was investing in infrastructure. He was forward thinking, clearly. I mean, I'm not for the destruction of Toontown or the removal of a people, because also when you think about it, Judge Doom is kind of representative of Manifest Destiny and the tunes are representative of Native Americans. Right. It's the Dakota pipeline. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So, but it's kind of like if Judge Doom hadn't died in the dip and had lived another 40 years, he would possibly become Roger Stone. Right. Perhaps Roger Stone is a tune. Ooh, Like Roger's tune <laughs> Roger's tune <laughs> yeah I buy that let's go with that yeah anyway okay uh, so oh do you know who else was up for that role Tim for, Curry for uh, Judge yeah, Doom I read that but he was too evil looking he was too scary he was and too scary I kind of wish it had been Tim Curry well Christopher Lloyd is kind of amazing I love Christopher Lloyd, but so this movie, so like you were talking about how it's iconic of your youth and you were five. Mm-hmm. And I think to love to have loved this movie at that time, you had to either be like five or 25 and up. Right. Yeah. I was 11. So it, to me, it was, and I wasn't the biggest cartoon, like the cartoons I watched weren't, Looney Tunes cartoons. I was the He-Man, Transformers, G.I. Right. Joe. So I wasn't, I didn't have this affinity. Like, you know who I remember loving this movie? Jeff Rubin. I believe I saw it, definitely saw it with him on home video, if not in the theater. I remember he loved this movie, but he also had a really strong affinity for a, a lot of the animated characters and mm-hmm. had... And by the way, this is uh, Jeff Rubin. He grew up with us and he is the host of the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show podcast. Um, he was one of the early college humor guys. Um, mm-hmm. Look him up. He's great. Yeah. I used to babysit him, you know. <laughs> so... I remember that and I remember just feeling like I I just didn't I wasn't that into it. I didn't like a lot of the plot went over my head. Right. And I mean of course, yes, because I had not yet seen Chinatown, which when I watched it <laughs> yeah. again this time, I was like, uh from the music to like isn't there a line like it's Toontown, Eddie? Or, or oh, am I probably. making that up? Yeah. So understanding the plot Right. Gave me a deeper appreciation for it. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen it since before I could have understood the plot. <laughs> so it was definitely but, like watching an entirely different movie. But right. So but but at that age, it it's not it's kind of like you wouldn't have been aware that there was something you weren't getting. And you at were just like, years old, it's you're not watching it for the plot. Exactly. No, you're, you're watching it for the silly yeah. antics and seeing uh, I don't know, just the insanity of of all these characters. I mean, it didn't. It was kind of lost on me that like Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse were on the screen at the same time because I just didn't understand studio politics at the time. 
But, you know, when there's no, like but the, I feel the dueling like was... pianos with Daffy Duck and Donald Duck, that's a lot of fun. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. That that the club scene is is fantastic. Yeah. I mean, Jessica Rabbit. Right. I, was, yeah. It is probably the only animated sex symbol. <laughs> it's pretty wild. I, voiced by Kathleen Turner, not the uh, the singing portion but the speaking portion and the singing was amy irving i think so did i read that right that was amy irving like as in i think steven spielberg's one time wife she's actress in carrie so that's interesting because i we just watched a movie with kate capshaw steven spielberg's current wife that was the movie that ended steven spielberg's marriage to amy irving uh, but I guess they kept up a working relationship because yeah. I guess she got a job working on Roger Rabbit. Yeah. And but Amy, I mean Amy Irving's a, a great actress. It, it, I remember a movie of hers actually from this same summer okay. called Crossing Delancey. It's a cute movie. It's like this. Just it's kind of just this sweet romantic comedy with Peter Regert. Okay. And. Amy Irving. So highly, highly recommend that. But yeah, I'm pretty sure I read that 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 she did the the singing. Yeah, so. and the singing the singing is great. It's kind of perfect for that type of scene. And then Kathleen Turner just kind of nails the voice for Jessica Rabbit. And yes, the way that she is animated is kind of inappropriate for a children's audience. But, oh, there's a lot in this movie that's inappropriate for children. There's a ton of innuendo. Oh yeah, but I didn't understand any of that when I was a kid, so it was kind of fine. <laughs> but this is one of those movies that has so many. I, I remember having it on VHS, and it'd be like, all right, if you pause it right here, and if you have something that you, where you could fast forward frame by frame, you could see when Baby Herman walks between the the woman's legs he sticks his finger up between her legs and did did you know that did you know about that like in the beginning like right after the the cartoon scene when with joel silver Mm -hmm. playing the director and and when baby herman walks off and he walks under this woman's skirt and as and you just like if you're just watching it as a kid all you see is she just kind of go ooh like you know oh. like mm-hmm. gets like oh what this baby just stomped right between my legs but if like when you if you pause it and now i mean i don't even pause it i just see it right but he takes it's his middle finger and he reaches up and oh, boy. and it's really it's it's whew. yeah well there's that and i think there's also a frame where is it betty boop and this this one i i don't know if i ever really saw but there's like a frame where they like ex- she's got a nipple exposed what in the club scene yeah i have a problem yeah. with betty boop just in general so Why? that's <laughs> um why is that john betty boop seemed to me like 
a very inappropriate sex symbol for like sailors in World War Two to be, you know, putting pictures of in their uh, in their cabins on their boats and stuff. I don't know. It just <laughs> I didn't see the appeal for anybody other than a horny sailor. <laughs> just yeah, saying. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> A character like Roger Rabbit is a wacky rabbit. It's well, yeah, yeah. clearly meant to appeal to children, whereas Betty Boop is like, hmm, what's your angle here? Okay. Yeah, yeah, That that's, that's basically it. <laughs> I don't know. I have never thought one way or the other on Betty Boop, but what you're saying makes a yeah, lot of sense. Yeah, I don't know. I just have a problem with Betty Boop. I've, fight okay. me? I don't know. <laughs> I don't I, I I'm not I telling you to fight me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you if you have feelings about Betty Boop, write to us, ruinchildhoodspod at gmail.com. I want to hear your thoughts about Betty Boop. <laughs> Let's get in on it. Pro or con. Betty Boop. Feminine feminist icon or animated porn for sailors. Yeah. Like Popeye? <laughs> well, yeah. Like, I mean it's like is that who's spanking it to Betty Boop? <laughs> uh, I think that she's a little too curvy for him. He likes some real that, narrow. That's, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> anyway, we should Shelley stop Duvall. talking about that. Yes, okay. Sorry. <laughs> if there was ever a role that Shelley Duvall was born to play, it was olive oil. I doubt that we will have an opportunity. Well, we might talk about Popeye. I don't know. Yeah, we might talk about Popeye. So, yeah. so We'll put so. a pin in that. Yeah, let's 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 pin that. Anyway, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Incredibly impressive. It's still impressive. In fact, I was thinking about it as I was watching it, and I just thought I was like, even though the tech, our technology is more advanced today, it would not look as cool. Right. It would not look as good. It's just such a good-looking film. Yeah, just seeing. And looking at it, understanding that they did so many things to integrate live action and animation practically. And I'm speaking again about like props, like, uh, you know, baby Herman's cigar, you know, things like that. The lamp in the scene in the in the bar with the with the I think it's like Rogers. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Swing like the way that they they had to make that lamp move. Yeah. So that it could then be, I mean, it's, it, it, yes, the the craft alone is awe-inspiring. Yeah. So I'm just going to, uh, there. there's a lot that we can cover about the, the life after 1988, but uh, I'm just going to read a couple of things. So uh, th- this is from Slash Film. Uh, about, and this is an article titled, The Roger Rabbit sequel script is wonderful, says Robert Zemeckis, but Disney isn't making it. So there have been a lot of attempts to bring back Roger Rabbit, but uh, as we know, nothing has happened. Uh, So in this article, it says, a potential Roger Rabbit sequel has been rumored ever since the original opened in 1988. First, there was a script called Roger Rabbit 2, The Toon Platoon, And uh, you can read the script online. And the plot involved Roger trying to find his birth mother. Steven Spielberg was not a fan and nixed it. And at one point, J.J. Abrams was going to write a script 
Then came a script called Who Discovered Roger Rabbit. The process went on for years, culminating in 2013 when Gary K. Wolf, writer of the original Roger Rabbit novel, said he was working on a prequel script that would be a buddy comedy about Roger Rabbit and Mickey Mouse. Um, There have been a couple other things. I did notice that there is an IMDb listing for something that's slated for 2022 that's a Roger Rabbit sequel, but... I haven't seen anything about it. Dan, do you have any insight? Well, so uh, so to go back, uh, I want to point out that there is a podcast called, um, was it uh, Table Reads? Mm-hmm. So Table, uh, Table Reads Podcast. And it is uh, host, it's with, uh, hosted by Sean McBee, Trevor Thompson and uh, Katie Katie Lavelle. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And they do they they read different scripts that were never produced, and they did uh, they recorded the Toon Platoon. Oh, nice. So, which I listened to the very beginning. <laughs> and, okay. Uh, where it indeed features the day that Roger Rabbit who is living on uh, so it, it opens on this this farmhouse and uh this this car pulls up and these these people uh come in and they meet these uh you know this family and you know the mother and the father are talking about like you know oh we knew this day would come and you know we always said we'd tell him on his 18th birthday <laughs> And okay, all right. Well, you know, Jimmy or whatever. You know, what's your what's your brother doing? Oh, he's in the barn milking the mule. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, okay. So he's in the barn milking the mule. Oh well, well, could you go get him, please? So of course the brother is Roger Rabbit, who until this point has not realized. You know, he's brought it's kind of like the jerk when right. Steve Martin learns that he's white. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and so it's Roger the day that Roger Rabbit learns that that he's a tune. So it, it, uh, you can read it online or you can listen to this uh, podcast. It's it's a five part podcast where they they read Roger Rabbit to Platoon uh, Platoon. Mm-hmm. In addition to that. So it, it yeah it's it's it keeps coming up in 2010 Robert Zemeckis was at a a film festival in Italy and he he spoke about it he said that he was because he was talking about his working relationship with Steven Spielberg and talked about the that what they had discussed regarding a sequel to Roger Rabbit mm-hmm. that they had discussed doing it in that it was going to be in 3D, but okay. that the animation would be 2D. So oh, I weird. guess it would kind of, yeah, I, I, it would be weird, but it would almost, it would look like the animation, sure. I guess, is coming off of the page. And he, right. yeah, he goes into this whole thing about the difference between like the 3D that he and James Cameron do, like the full on digital 3D, and then, you know, all the other, all the fakers. Uh, right. So, the but post-production the only, 3D. The only footage that exists 
relating, as far as I know, to the best of my knowledge, of any Roger Rabbit sequel is some test footage that was done in 1998 of some updated Roger Rabbit animation. And it's just a short clip. You can find it on YouTube. But it is... That was kind of my thought watching the animation because I I've just I was you know drooling over the hand drawn two D animation of of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and this animation is not it's not three D but it's definitely more detailed. It's more in line with that late nineties mm-hmm. style of, right. of animating. So gotcha. that's yeah. So that's that's all we got on a on a sequel. Or prequel. Right. Well, we also have to acknowledge that there have been shorts that have featured Roger Rabbit. Uh, Definitely some endorsements for products and commercials and things like that. We're going to bring it full circle here because the summer after Who Framed Roger Rabbit came out, the following summer, Disney had another big hit coming out. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Right. Mm-hmm. And in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. So, and before Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, it was super hyped. The Roger Rabbit cartoon, Tummy Trouble. Right. Mm-hmm. And there was going that. to be one before The Rocketeer. Oh, yeah. I think I was but, reading about that when we were doing The Rocketeer. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. And... And also, this is something that I had mentioned many episodes ago when we were either going to do this episode next or another one, but Mm -hmm. Roger Rabbit, I mean, in Disneyland, don't know about Disney World, but definitely in Disneyland, there is Toontown. And uh, at least last time I was there. Oh, the last time I was there was summer 1987, so. Really? Well, in, geez, 2012 2000 oh maybe 2013 or 14 it was uh it was there and oh, um cool. yeah so it's it's a thing it's still a thing yeah i i think that a i think a sequel would i think a sequel would do well well what would your idea be <sighs> You know, so many different ways you could go. Um, by the way, the Toon Platoon, just to get a little bit more into it, um, the idea was not just Roger Rabbit looking for his birth mother. Mm-hmm. It, it was also Roger Rabbit and some of the Looney Tunes getting drafted to fight in World War II. Oh, my. Yeah. So, and one of the things Steven Spielberg wasn't crazy about was uh, the use of Nazis in it. And apparently, like, the tunes would just be so bumbling that they would never actually kill anyone. But that was that was the kind of full premise of it. That was why it was called Toon Platoon. When it comes to children's movies with swastikas in them, I'm a rocketeer guy, Dan. <laughs> Everybody knows this about me. That's right. That's right. It's all live action. It, yeah. We can't have cartoons and swastikas. It's just the the, the juxtaposition. It's, it's too much. So ideas I'm not, for... I'm not, I'm not drawn. I'm just bad that way, maybe. 
Wow. Uh, <laughs> so what I you got, did Dan? not see that coming. Uh, yeah. Uh, so what do I got? Uh, I, well, okay. So Bob Hoskins passed away in, in 2014. Pour one out. Right. Yeah. So uh, it's gonna, I think the tall one for Bob, but you can't have somebody else playing that role in a sequel. Correct. And I, I have a hard time with a Roger Rabbit sequel that doesn't include Eddie Valiant. So I would have to go prequel. And okay. the Valiant about the Valiant brothers working Toontown. Um, I this could be a really it could be a fun Disney Plus series. Honestly, who, who would you have play uh, young Bob Hoskins? <laughs> um, uh, a young uh, who would I have play a young Bob Hoskins? Oh man, well. He's probably t- too young, but man, that kid from Jojo Rabbit was hilarious. Oh, if you want to go I, way back, I forget his name. Um, uh, the, the, the friend boy, the, with the glasses. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. the friend. I I forget his name. That kid was outstanding. He's amazing. Yeah, a, a young Bob Hoskins. Hmm. You know, I haven't really, I hadn't given it much thought. For some reason, I was thinking Ben Schwartz as Teddy Valiant. No, oh, yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, no, no idea where. That, I mean, Stanley. It, well, no, no, never mind. Stanley, Stanley Tucci could potentially be a. Nah, he couldn't sub in for Bob Hoskins. Yeah, I mean, as an older Eddie Valiant, maybe nah. in his Beethoven days, steal in his dog stealing days. Not so much his Hunger Games days. No. Uh, yeah. Anyway, we can but, we can so, move on from that. But, but uh, I would say a, a prequel, uh, the Valiant Brothers, or they you know work different cases in Toontown, and really good opportunity to bring in to inco- you could incorporate other characters, and depending on what what else Disney buys the rights to, they've already got a lot more at their disposal. Yeah, you could Anastasia. You could put Anastasia in there. That's a Fox animated thing. Ice Age, the Ice Age, I, whatever. Mm-hmm. Although that would be outdated. That would be wrong. Um, or is that a DreamWorks or, animation? Is what uh, Ice Age? Oh, maybe Ice Age yeah. is Dream. I thought it was Fox animation. Oh, I don't know. Anyway, yeah. So uh, another idea that would be where you would actually be able to use that idea would be kind would be a present day okay you know Roger Rabbit and I don't know I don't think like tunes really age so you could still have Roger and and Jessica I imagine Charles Fleischer could probably still do Roger Rabbit I I mean assuming he's got the the pipes for it still yeah I mean I, if not, I'm sure they could find. You could find people for. I I I def. I don't think Kathleen Turner's uh, health is right. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that she could do it. But you could find. Could find people. I think for for a Disney Plus series. Yeah. You know the Toontown Mysteries or something like that. 
Valiant okay. and Valiant. Right. Why not? It'd be fun. Go a little old school. Sure. Do it. Like, put it in that old, like, 40s style. Make it look like one of those old retro Disney cartoons. Like, we like we used to watch on the Disney Channel. Right. Yeah. Back in the early days of the Disney Channel when we'd mm-hmm. watch, like, The Lone Ranger. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, whatever else was on there. Like, the, the Mickey Mouse Club. But why not? Disney Plus needs to build... It's going to build its content library. Sure. And... You want to, you know, resur- especially if, if 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 you've got a sequel in the works, prime the pump. Mm-hmm. You know, throw a series out there, reacquaint people with the the Roger Rabbit cinematic universe, the <laughs> the, the I don't know, the RK Maroons cinematic yeah. universe. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. What are you seeing? What are you thinking? So, I I see where you're coming from about wanting to include Eddie Valiant, but because in all honesty, he is the star of this movie. You know, it's, it's his movie, not so much Roger Rabbit's. And when you know, like all the work that goes into making that movie, the appreciation for his performance. Oh yeah. Just multiplies for sure. But, uh, I don't know if I fully, not about disagreeing, but don't think that's where I would go. So I would have something that is set now because you're right. I don't think that tunes necessarily age. I mean, as we've seen with baby Herman, he's 50 years old with a three-year-old dinky. So he's, you know, perpetually a baby. It's however they're drawn. What's up? (laughs) No, I'm I'm saying I wonder if like aging for tunes is just like higher definition and it's not aging, it's just revision. I don't... Well, so here's here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that they because Roger Rabbit stars in movies, he is an actor, so Roger Rabbit is being rebooted and they are going with an all CG Roger Rabbit and our Roger Rabbit that we're all familiar with, you know, finds out about all this stuff. He's informed by the studio that this is what's going to happen and is kind of having a bit of an existential crisis and is leaning on the support of his Toontown buddies. And by this point, as we are, you know, many, many years in the future, there are certainly a lot more tunes out there and a lot more cartoon universes, like maybe uh, Totoro or other Studio Ghibli uh, characters come into play. Maybe some like Coraline and some of the Laika characters or, you know, Fantastic Mr. Fox you know, from the Wes Anderson movie is there. You know, there's a, there's way more characters that have have come up since then. And if we really wanted to do some more tie-ins and please, well, me, we could even bring in a, a some tie-in characters, uh, Dustin Hoffman and Lily Tomlin, the existential detectives from My Heart Huckabees to help him solve his <laughs> crisis. That's, that's a uh, not necessary, but would please me and maybe only me situation. And the name of the movie... Who is Roger Rabbit? 
Oh my. I do want you um, to know that I actually wrote down a completely different idea. And then five minutes before we got on to record, I thought of that one. So I was like, I'm going with that. The other one involved like Jessica being kidnapped and it was more of a traditional storyline. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But it still involved <laughs> uh, teaming up with other characters that we that didn't exist in 88. Right. Right. Yeah. Or or didn't exist at the time that it was that was set. taking place and yeah in yeah when what was it what year does it take place forty I don't know I yeah uh, uh yeah so I would be shocked if we don't see something new from Disney involving Roger Rabbit mm-hmm. what it's I mean and it could be anything from. Uh, Roger Rabbit shorts on on Disney Plus yeah. to I, I a a series that expands the universe. Yeah, Maybe Yoda I think I read is, somewhere. Is and... I think I read somewhere that part of the issue is a question of rights between Disney and um, Steven Spielberg. So I ah. think that there's some technical disputes with contracts and things like that. So who knows? Yeah, I don't, I do remember from, I remember reading the novel, like you, you said it was based on a novel called who defamed Roger Rabbit. Right. Yeah. I do remember, I remember reading it. I don't remember much about it, but I just, I remember reading it. And that it was called Who Defamed Roger Rabbit. And I had no idea what that meant. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Who Framed works on so many levels. Right. Yes, absolutely. I mean, as a kid, as a five-year-old like I was, I didn't know what any of that meant. But it didn't matter. Right. Right. Yeah. I had a one more thing and I lost it. So that's okay. Well, if anybody has anything they want to contribute about Roger Rabbit or any of the other movies you talked about, email us ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail dot com. Record a voice memo and, and send it to us. Uh, we've already talked about what our next episode is going to be. Um, we kind of teased in the last episode, but we're going to be talking about the world of Pee Wee Herman. So. Pee-wee's Playhouse, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Big Top Pee-wee. I mean, Pee-wee's Big Holiday. Pee-wee's Big Holiday. Yeah. The Pee-wee um, Herman show on Broadway. Right. The yeah. Yeah. So all that. Anything you want to contribute, we're going to be recording back that to the one. beach. Back to the. Oh my god, I'm so excited to talk about Back to the Beach. So uh, we're going to be recording that one probably a couple days after this episode comes out. So we'll be. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be in person with each yeah, other, not, we're with, gonna, not with you. Sorry. Right. We're going to be actually in the same place at the same time with our brother, Scott. Uh, typically, we record, uh, I'm, I'm in Portland and Dan is in Seattle. So although we are in the same corner of the world, still quite a distance away. It's it's a bit far to drive on a weeknight. Yeah. Once a week. <laughs> Yeah. 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 Hey, all right, hon. I'm just going to zip down to Portland. We're recording the podcast night. Yep, I'll hey, be home. Hey, you're coming Bye. here. That sounds good to me. Uh, I don't know. I have the younger child. <laughs> or the older child, sorry. The older child. Yeah. yeah. 
I have the older child. So that said, I look forward to, I, I'm excited to delve into the Hermanaverse and uh, and to to see you and Scott next week. Yeah. So a figurative and literal good journey. Good journey to you too, Dan. You had plenty money, 